So welcome to the Bailey. This is the show where we run out of things to say at the beginning of the banner. I'm your host, Yassine Masoot, and I'm joined today by Jeff, CRC, and McMuster. Hello. And I guess we'll do the fucking merry-go-around and introduce everyone. This does seem repetitive, but, you know, who knows? Yeah. We should probably do an actual, like, introductions episode where it's just, like, basically soft interviewing each other. Oh, God, how much more of a narcissist, like, circle jerk do you want to contribute? <laughs> well, I feel like... <laughs> That's a good question. Well, I mean, if people are listening to us, they probably want to understand our perspective and where we're coming. Yeah, I'm actually curious how many people... The SoundCloud uh, tells me it's it's roughly around 100 to 150 plays each episode, which is kind of shockingly high. That's actually quite yeah. a bit. That's great. <laughs> like, I... I mean, I haven't even gotten around to listening to the most recent episode, so I'm actually kind of impressed by that. <laughs> I, I'm really nervous about listening to my own voice. Like, I'm I'm pleasantly surprised each time. Yeah, well, how else are you going to modulate your delivery? Oh, God. <laughs> cool. Should we uh, snap a new start time? No, I don't care. I can edit this. Okay, good point. Maybe I'll include some of it for, for laughs. <laughs> like the comment about narcissism and circle jerks. I mean, isn't that why we're all here? Yeah, yeah why else? I'm not. Yeah, why else? Why, why else would this. you be doing this? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I think of myself important enough that apparently other people on the internet want to hear my opinions on matters. And the terrible thing is that you're correct. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, this is like pathologically enabling. So in today's episode, we'll work on discussing the politics of discussing politics at work. <laughs> and uh, each of us uh, today will have a, a particular opinion on uh, this particular issue. Uh, and um, so, for example, I'm Yassine. I have uh, I'm an attorney. I have worked in almost exclusively political spaces. So I, ha I used to be an ACLU attorney and then uh, currently work as a public defender. And while at the ACLU, I was sort of expected to discuss politics because obviously that's what we did. Go ahead, CRC. All right. I'm also an attorney. Uh, I now own my own business. And so I have a, a perspective from that direction. But previously, uh, I practiced uh, patent law briefly, and that had one set of sort of uh, protocols. And I was also a law professor and I worked for uh, a civil rights free speech nonprofit, which those two were both quite open about talking about politics at work. My name's Jeff Greer. Uh, I'm a software engineer. I've lived in the Bay Area, worked at various software companies for the past 13 years. So I've seen the increased political polarization in the Bay Area and politics just inundating work. Uh, so yeah, that's my perspective, I guess. Is it Jeff or Geoff? It's Jeff. It's the English spelling. I was born in the UK, but my parents are Americans. That's why I have, a, and I moved away early enough that I, I have an American accent. Well, finally, another immigrant to the US. Yes, yeah. it's great. <laughs> yeah, so much diversity in here. Now, if only I can convince <laughs> a woman to join, we'll have a complete. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah, uh, I'm McMuster. I am a mere wage slave. I work for a construction company and I actually do enjoy talking about politics with the people I work with. So I have a little bit of a different perspective than all of the extremely well-educated, highly qualified people in this room. I'm a college dropout, so eh, 
Well, yeah, but you dropped out into programming, so that's kind of a different as, story. As tradition, yeah. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I may be highly educated, but the business that I'm in is uh, hospitality. So, yeah. So the precipitating incident for our discussion is Google recently has prohibited the discussion of politics at work. This is presumably this is a reaction to the James Damore memo that caused a whole bunch of ruckus a few years ago. How about this, Jeff? Do you want to give like a, a sketch of what you see as uh, te- the Bay Area tech industry uh, culture with regards to discussing politics at work? Oh, just the current status? Yeah, sure. Give us an overview. You can look at the current okay. status and maybe uh, how it has shifted over the years. Okay. So when I first moved to the Bay Area back in 2007, it seemed like any other job where people basically hardly ever talked about politics at work. It was like, you know, talking about religion at work. Just don't do not do it. It's only going to cause strife. Uh, and work was more of a, of a business that you, you work, you go, you, you're done with work at the end of the day, as opposed to now, just over time, somehow it's become the case that work seems to be more like family. You've even, even hear uh, CEOs at some companies talk about employees as, as family or, or teams or something like that. And there's a lot of discussion of politics at work now, and it's extremely one-sided and extremely uncharitable. So if you are not in the majority in terms of your political views, you are not going to have a fun time or you just have to be the type of person who can who can just deal with being shunned a lot. So when you say that you joined in 2007, what was your prior background? A uh, college student. And I'd worked at uh, other companies. I'd, I'd had a lot of uh, blue collar jobs like landscaping, working at a golf course, raking the sand traps and stuff like that. And I guess this was my first real white collar job. And, and the way that the, the lack of politics being discussed was the same as, as when I was working doing manual labor. But that changed over time. Can you think of uh, an incident where that was a linchpin with how uh, the approach to politics at work has shifted? I think it was around 2010. That's when I started using alt accounts on, say, Hacker News and other forums because I didn't want some of my views to be traced back to my real name. So when you say Hacker News, you mean Y Combinator? Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no one's yeah. going to get that joke. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you you're all laughing and I'm confused. It's a callback to the last episode. Oh, yeah, okay. you gotta you gotta listen to the last episode, man. Yeah, maybe oh, shit, right 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 now, I, got, I just got outed on air for not listening to this on show. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry, I'll edit it out. Yeah. No, don't. It's funny. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what the linchpin moment was. Maybe it was midterm elections after after Obama or something. But I did notice working it, more and more often at work, people were talking about you know uh, gun control or or whatever like super duper polarizing topic. And it was very, very one-sided dogpile conversations of how could anybody believe, you know, the opposite of what we believe. And I could think of all kinds of reasons, but, you know, as soon as you start saying them, people get upset. So that's when I started thinking, okay, maybe something, something's different now. Like before I didn't have this issue and, and now I do. And, and I don't know exactly what, if there was any trigger, if it was just like a frog boiling thing. So is there a presence of activists then? Is that a factor? Is that something that changed? I'm not sure. Maybe it's just uh, college grads. Uh, uh, as college, is some, as more and more colleges have gotten more 
I don't know, leftists or something. And those college grads then get into the pipeline. That could be one, one reason for the change because most of the, I don't want to say like instigators, but most of the most vocal people uh, were, were younger. The people driving the conversation, the ones yeah, demanding usually. that there needs to be a conversation about X, Y, I guess, or just bringing up politics in general at work, which most people before that were not keen to do. So when you say bringing up politics at work, what format do these discussions take? Is it around the water cooler? Is it online? Are these dedicated forums? What do you see? It's usually at, you know, having lunch with coworkers or sometimes there'll be Slack channels, something or IRC channels back before Slack was a thing. And people would just link to whatever the latest outrage du jour was or talk about can you believe what I don't even remember what the politicians' names were in 2012 or whatever? But yeah, could you believe what this this Republican did or something like that, or what this one state passed a law about? And people would all go, "Oh, that's terrible," and I, I just shrug and think, well, "What what is the point of bringing this up? This is this is just some random thing that does not affect you at all." Uh, so, and if you ever pointed out reasons why some of these laws might make sense to the people who are passing them, then you would get shot down pretty fast. But it was always more spontaneous lunch water cooler talk and not the type of, oh, we need to have a meeting about about whatever or we're going to have some official event, at least not until about 2016. Then then we started having official events at different at different companies that I worked at. What do you mean when you say official events? So... Somebody would say, we need to have an ally workshop. So everybody at the company has to or is heavily encouraged to go to this ally workshop that teaches you how to be a good ally about, I forget what, you know, anything, making making sure you are not being an asshole to, you know, gay, trans, whatever, any sort of or minority, uh, racial minorities or anything like that. But often the content of these talks was was very, very opinionated. And it wasn't just the excuse of, oh, don't, you know, don't be an asshole to these people. And here's how you might accidentally be an asshole to these people or make them feel excluded. It was it was often much more dogmatic about this is the way that you should talk about things all the time. Uh, and that uh, it, that was not not a very, very fun experience. Yeah, that just sounds kind of insane. Because where I work, people bond by bullying each other. Yeah, it's once you get known as a maverick, like it's kind of neat because there there are a lot of people, I guess, in in the closet. So it, in terms of they're in the closet as a gun owner or in the closet as did a Trump just, supporter. Did you just refer to yourself as a maverick? Uh, where where I would actually bring up like so uh, I'm a I'm a gun owner and I'm like one of the few people at work who actually owns guns. And oh my god, do you want me to edit this out? I, I don't know. We'll figure out later. I'll think about it. Uh, I mean, you live in the it, area and you just admitted to being a firearm owner. <laughs> yeah, I'm fine with that. I mean, people at work know you're, I'm a gun oh, owner. okay. You're, you're, you're a maverick in that you're vocal about in that. I am, yes. Yeah, sorry. Let me like, explain that. I'm a maverick in that I actually make uh, that everybody at work knows my my views and and about different political topics and they're not always uh, the ones that everybody agrees with oh wow so and you're like you're like emmanuel gold goldstein then. <laughs> <laughs> 
So how did you first uh, kind of drive a wedge into that? Like, how did you tip your toe into the water? Be like, oh, maybe I should actually push back and let people know that I'm not necessarily on board with the dogpiling. I think it was at a company I worked at where I was invited to join a meeting with the diversity council to give them ideas on how best to fix the the demographics of our hiring where we noticed that you know our engineers at the company reflected the demographics of engineers it's like mostly white asian uh, and, and very few women and very few other minorities uh and so they wanted ideas on how to fix that and or how to help correct it so jeff you're telling us that your name is james demore <laughs> <laughs> Well, you see, they asked for help, and I was just honest about helping how they could fix it. Yeah, I told them they were asking the wrong question. They were, or that they—I told them they were—they were, they were uh, striving towards the wrong goal. The the goal should not be to increase diversity for the sake of diversity. The goal should be to eliminate bias in the hiring process. And I gave them examples of how to eliminate bias, such as blinding resumes, removing identifying information, so you don't know how old the person is, uh, what sex they are. And also name tends to correlate with, with race as well. And why did they ask you of all people? They asked, they just picked a couple engineers randomly. Okay. It wasn't like, Oh, that here's a guy that had, had previous, I don't know, history with something that might be useful. They just, they just picked a few random engineers. Uh, Oh, another example of blinding would be, using more text-based mediums during the interview screening process. So instead of a phone screen using, you know, text chat and email or something like that to, to get to transfer work back and forth of, uh, of both like problems and, and answers to those problems so that you would be less likely to have an implicit bias of some kind against or for somebody. And I think the last thing was that I recommended was doing statistics on the hiring funnel to see if certain attributes of a person make them more or less likely to get hired. Uh, and all of those ideas, none of them were implemented. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like a lead balloon because that's actually taking uh, a quality of opportunity at face value. Whereas it sounds like they've mixed up their measures and their goals by using diversity, which should be a measure for equal opportunity and turning it into the goal. Yeah, that was basically it. And most companies. Anyway, that's that's how I got into this as just being known for being straightforward with my opinions. And that uh, was I gave these recommendations and they they weren't followed. And I was privately chastised afterwards. So you're saying that your recommendations outed you as part of the heterodoxy? I guess. Yeah, I I'm pretty I cannot take a hint, basically. So I didn't know that they were asking. I didn't know that they weren't necessarily asking in like the most charitable way for advice. It was more. It seemed like yeah, they they were going more towards like, uh, the the typical things that you would do to increase diversity. Which uh, yeah, that, that wasn't that wasn't something that I was I, that it, that was not the hint that I got. So, at what point do you think they went? Uh, the, the the Silicon Valley area went from. Okay, that's nice, but you probably shouldn't share that. Too, you're a witch. Burn you. I think it was Trump. I think it was 2016. Was there a particular incident that you remember? Yeah, 
uh, it was a, after the day after election day, and there are a bunch of high schoolers that skipped school and were protesting in the streets of San Francisco. And the whole office went out and mostly to look like, why are all these people out here protesting? And uh, a lot of people cheered them on and stuff. And and they, I guess that was that was a thing that created enough common knowledge at the company where almost everybody around agreed. Almost everybody around noticed that almost everybody else around was on their side. And that, that was kind of a, a nucleating point, I guess. So, McMuster, do you want to talk about your uh, history with this? You're, you're muted, McMuster. I know I was. I was just shaking oh. a pill bottle and I didn't want you to hear it. I'm, <laughs> oh, okay. I'm, taking, my, I'm taking my melatonin. Oh. It's almost my bedtime. Uh, it, does it work for you, McMuster? Oh, yeah. It's, it knocks me right the fuck out. Do you take the 0.3 milligrams that Scott Alexander recommends? Yes, 300 micrograms. Uh, side note, but when I've taken it, I would wake up like at 3 a.m. and have had the craziest dreams. Yeah, I get weird dreams from it. Yeah, I try and take it about an hour before bed or thereabouts, and it's usually getting me by then because I because my because like my general sleep sleep pattern like like if I don't have anything like that just because of all the artificial light I'm exposed to, I only start feeling tired at like 2 a.m. And the trouble is, I work at six in the morning, so it's not a good mix. I hate you all. <laughs> Why? <laughs> I'm one of those. I'm one of those rare people who um, almost never has uh, memory dreams that you can re- that I can remember. It's uh, oh, that's I, so sad. Yeah, I've actually been keeping a, a dream log since 2010. Yeah. Man, dreams are so cool. <laughs> I'm, I'm not a fan. Usually, my dreams, I'm like on fire or like running for my life or something. I, I'm enjoying this. Uh, I'm enjoying this segue. I hope you are too, listener. <laughs> You're gonna have to you're gonna have to link that melatonin article in the yeah, show notes. If there's now. one thing people enjoy more than other people talking about politics, it's people talking about dreams. No, entertaining segues are the great, great. So anyway, McMuster, what's what's been your experience with discussing politics at work? Well, my stakes are a lot lower because I'm uh, I, I under I'll I'll say right now it is not wise to discuss politics at work. I will say that much. I will not and recommend doing it. Do. Hmm? Uh, I do operations control of stuff, uh, basically office work for a construction company, but I'm working with the, the tradesmen all the time. And what's the general tribe? I mean, you mentioned it's red tribe, but think, tell us more about the demographics that you... Uh, red tribe, people who are in unions. So generally politically incorrect, uh, gen, uh, the general response to what do you think about the current zeitgeist? If, and I don't, I don't use the word zeitgeist because they don't know what that means. And they just say, what kind of, what kind of $2 word is that? Uh, the response is people are too sensitive. Usually. So it's that kind of environment. Yeah. If you were to walk onto a job site and like ask someone about what they think about it means to be an ally or anything along those lines, they'd ask you why they wouldn't, they would look at you like you're a dumbass and then also tell you that you are a dumbass. <laughs> so that's the kind of straightforwardness. You may not be particularly useful in your high social intelligence professions that you guys and presumably many of our listeners are involved in. It's kind of almost the complete opposite of the, well, I guess, the, the blue tribe way of running businesses. Or not even running businesses. This is just how people perform online. So how do politics come into play? Like you, you, you just told us about a reaction to a specific question, but how do politics in general come into play? Instead of being raised as like serious issues, like, like you don't, you're not going to talk about any, if you talk, if you bring it like Cortez or something like that, 
like if you say like, oh, my God, X person did Y terrible thing today, you're, you're just going to get fucking laughed at and told to shut up. But if you want to talk about like a specific issue, like I had I had a conversation with a few of the guys in the office about Antifa and like one of them is actually fairly leftist and uh, the other one was fairly uh, very conservative, I should say. And like the idea of talking about things in the in the abstract rather than talking about specific issues and specific things to either boo or cheer for like that happens quite a bit. And it usually takes the form of bullshitting though. Why do you think there is that distinction? I am probably primed to look at it this way because I've been reading too much of Alexander's work, but I think it comes down mostly to signaling. Like there's, if you're people kind of pick up on the fact that you're trying to signal and build consensus, if you try doing stuff like that. And so you just kind of get told to fuck off if you start doing it. Like if I were to start, if I were to walk in with a bunch of uh, my atheist shit, I were to present that like god isn't religion religion silly guys even the people who are on board with me the degenerates i work with they would still be dude fuck off <laughs> like there's kind of a common ethos in that you don't try and control what other people think there's a certain degree of individuality with it but at the same time if you want to talk about well if you well do you think god exists if you actually raise that question in good faith you actually can have a conversation about it on the line It'll usually be buried in like three layers of irony and two layers of bullshitting, but you can still have it. So presumably both demographics, tech workers and union workers would be potentially um, just as drawn to signaling. But from your observations, it, it tends to take a different turn. Do you have any theories as to why? There's the cultural aspect that decreed that. I think that's the biggest change to the form is there that we have a culture of not trying to enforce ideology in the workplace or if anything to enforce not enforcing ideologies in the workplace yes yeah there's it's a, there's a self-correcting mechanism yeah and uh don't talk about politics is also one that works like that like if you reform and do do that i've talked to them about it it's like yeah if they start talking about shit like that i just shut it up so there is discretion there and that does serve the same effect or serve to the same goal have you uh learned any valuable lessons as you continue to work in the manual labor industry with approaching politics? Like, was there a particular incident where you're like, oh shit, maybe I shouldn't do that again? No, by and large, it's mostly, like I said, there's the stakes are very low because no one's going to try and get you fired for anything. There's no sort of Damocles with this. Um, uh, even the worst things people can say to you, they are recognized to still just be words and they are recognized as stopping at the end of the conversation. Like people hold grudges and there's, stupid workplace drama and people don't like each other. Uh, but the nice thing is that you, you can usually just be re- relocated to a different job site and working under a different foreman if there's personality crash clashings. And that's almost never due to politics. That's usually due to other uh, more basic things, usually racism. CRC, do you want to talk about your history with uh, your trajectory? All right. Yeah. Um, so after law school, uh, I went over to Portland, Oregon from Raleigh, Durham, North Carolina, uh, to practice patent law. And, uh, I didn't last very long, not because of anything about politics, but because patent law didn't agree with me. But aside from that, uh, it was a massive culture shock, um, moving from, uh, you know, relatively, uh, red state to very, very blue state. And I, I knew what I was getting myself into, but not to the extent, um, this is back in 2000 and four um so right in the midst of the uh elect uh, the second election of george bush uh and george w bush and um uh, when he was squaring off against uh uh the two johns um and uh 
ended up uh, people uh, in the firm and, and out in the street who knew I was from North Carolina really, really wanted to talk politics with me because John Edwards was the senator from North Carolina. So um, I had to uh, I really, really did not want to talk politics with them because I, I, I knew that if I actually put out my my real beliefs on everything and I was I was significantly more uh, Republican slash conservative back then. Um, but, uh, uh, that, uh, you know, I might not get a job offer or something because, uh, even, even though it was done with, uh, you know, relative just curiosity, you, you know, you, I still was at the point where I wasn't quite sure that it was benign. Um, so then I, when I decided not to do patent law, I moved back to North Carolina and, and, uh, ended up, uh, in a faculty position or a, a, a faculty fellowship position, um, and, uh, teaching, uh, intellectual property law. And, um, in that environment, not talking about politics, it was, um, considered weird. And I, I had, I had no qualms about, um, you know, bringing up, uh, uh by that point, uh, somewhat more libertarian views, but, um, you know, it was it, it was almost considered um, uh, passe or or um, uh, just just de class to not attempt to defend your beliefs. I mean, granted, it was it was a law school environment, so you know, it's constant um, challenging of people. Lots of um, sophistry where people are taking uh, positions that they don't really hold and just trying to argue for the sake of argument. Um, so. In that environment, it was it was great fun talking about politics, and I had no fear, um, partly because I had no intention of becoming a uh, tenured professor at any point. Uh, then I um, uh, took a brief hiatus where politics really wasn't an issue at work um, because I was self-employed. Uh, then I worked at a uh, civil rights um, free speech nonprofit. And of course they're same thing, same thing. You've got to talk about politics. I mean, that's, that's literally what you're doing day in and day out is, uh, fighting the culture war. Um, at least the political manifestation of the culture war. So, um, again, there it made complete sense. And while everyone, it was very much like the law school environment where people were generally, um, you know, you, you'd have an argument. You could, you, you could even have, you know, quite animated shouting matches with each other, but then you'd go and get a beer later and everything be fine because everybody understood that people come at things differently and everyone here is, um, yeah, relatively intelligent and, uh, just because they have a different position doesn't mean they're stupid. So there was that sort of tacit re uh, respect for, um, everyone, uh, uh, that kind of prevented things from getting out of hand. But, uh, so the last, uh, situation I find myself in, uh, and have now for many, many years, um, uh, is when I, uh, started a, um, well, it's a hotel with a restaurant. So we have, um, I, I mean, for me to say that I'm the most educated person in the, in the company is actually, not even remarkable. Um, we have line cooks, we have, uh, uh, you know, 
servers, not just people who are in the position because they um, are like uh, in a college job and, and just trying to fill in. We have, you know, careerist servers um, and all walks of life, all um, viewpoints from wildly, wildly conservative to um, uh, you know, completely liberal we had one uh, one instance that i that i remember that we this is and this is part of the reason why we ended up putting a uh, a stop to s- serious discussions because in this environment the people can't uh necessarily separate out their personal views from their views as to the quality of the people they're working with uh we had one line cook who um was repeated repeatedly wore a maga hat to work and while i, I don't care he's it's not like he's being seen by the guests uh, that that would be different if he was because there's a there's a dress code of course but um some of the other employees got nervous or uh, didn't feel good about it and one of them they they uh, brought it up and they got into a shouting match and getting into a shouting match in a commercial kitchen where there's knives around uh, no, nothing happened nothing happened at all but it, it made us a little bit more nervous and so we we instituted a um uh, a bit of a dress code even for the even for the cooks so that uh, they couldn't bring uh anything with words on it um that wasn't like a band shirt or a, you know dale earnhardt or something um but uh yeah, it's it's I no longer talk about politics except with a, a select few at uh, people I work with. And and it's this, it's the same thing. I find I found a group that I can trust and that uh, feels like they can trust me so that we can have a conversation and disagree and be OK with it. Are you generally happy with that equilibrium? I, 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 I wish. OK, I'll put it this way. I like talking politics. Uh, that's why I'm doing this podcast. That's why I do. I like talking about politics with anybody who'll listen. But I recognize that just like Mc, uh, McMuster said, talking politics at work is a bad idea. And this is why, because not everybody has the intestinal fortitude to sit there and um, and, and accept that this the person they're talking with has a reasonable position that they came to and that just because it's different doesn't mean it's the end of the world. But, uh, and and in in my case, if, 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 if they got into a shouting match, even if it wasn't potentially violent, if they got into a shouting match and the, and clients heard it, that would, that would be horrible. So we, we have to, I have to regulate it only because the negative is so much worse than the positive of allowing it. So you think there might be a bit of a difference in kind between, the restaurant industry and uh, the construction industry. Uh, yeah, degrees well, of I, intestinal fortitude versus just uh, testicular tolerance, maybe. Yeah, I think I, I, I think the the construction industry is probably much more like the the line cook um, part of the restaurant industry. But the problem is, it's not just. It's not like it's all line cooks. You got line cooks, you got servers, you got hosts, um, bartenders. They all have uh, different pressure points and proclivities. So, with regards to my own history of work, I, my first job was actually at McDonald's, but that was when I was 15 years old. So, I don't necessarily remember much politics at that point. You just remember uh, being stupid. Yeah, and watching <laughs> Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> And uh, the, the I think the first part was when I worked at a, at a hotel restaurant, and um, the it was it was a union shop, and I remember 
being heavy into studying economics at that point and wanting to talk it to everyone about how bad the minimum wage was and just being an annoying, annoying bastard (laughs) (laughs) because no one cared. And, and they weren't really the audience for that type of uh, discussion. Uh, and I almost immediately started butting heads with uh, some of the people there because I think part, I think because it was a union shop, most of the my coworkers were much older. And so I used every opportunity to discuss politics because I was super excited about everything that I was studying because my primary uh, function day to day was to be a college student, not necessarily be a host in a restaurant. People didn't want to engage unless it had something directly affecting them, uh, such as a local ordinance or a local a local campaign by the union that was representing them. So it was kind of me yelling into an empty me shouting into an empty room. The I guess maybe the next milestone that I remember was when I was part of this volunteer bicycle repair organization. And you can imagine the kind of demographic that constitutes this volunteer bicycle repair organization in a fairly liberal city. One thing that I I was heavily involved in this organization, but one thing that I kind of kept watch on is anytime that there was any sort of consensus building effort towards kind of brigading the entire organization to hold a single form of uh, thought. So I think like at one point, one of our communication directors gave kind of a congratulatory email on on Labor Day, kind of celebrating how great unions are. And I just sent them a message saying, hey, you know, like we shouldn't have this as a litmus test. If you want to join the organization, you shouldn't be led to conclude that you have to support unions. And I think I was the only person that cared within the entire organization. And I just kind of kept it vague enough. That's like, you know, people might be upset. <laughs> but I think some people just were suspecting that what they mean is Yassine might be upset uh, as opposed to this hypothetical person. But I've always tried to kind of have this uh, hardline stance with regards to organizations taking a political stance that was completely unrelated to their mission. The mission of this bicycle repair cooperative was to repair bicycles cooperatively. It had nothing to do with enforcing unions or even advocating for uh, climate change policies or anything even uh, secondary uh, with a secondary effect on, on the main mission. And I could tell that there was some pushback or at least some confusion because some people were just thinking like, why? Like everyone already kind of believes this. And I think that was kind of the point that I was getting at is that they shouldn't. The consensus had already been formed, right? Like there had already been the evaporative cooling and everyone who had freaked out by it had already left. Well, it wasn't, it wasn't, um, I wouldn't say that there was kind of a, an aggressive uh, campaign for building consensus. It was more kind of, obviously everyone thinks this right type of, uh, out, uh, type of, um, type of statement. So that was a uh, kind of like rather mild. Um, so I was, uh, I was an attorney at the ACLU and talking about politics was day to day. Uh, as CRC mentioned, that that's pretty much like the same conversations that we had because we were deeply embedded into the culture war and having any sort of uh, new development or new uh, outrage was in like 100% our mission. Yeah, can you back up for like five steps and explain how you got to the ACLU? <laughs> I graduated law school. I applied. Okay. Do you want more detail? Yeah. Like, uh, wh- what made you choose it? Like, that's kind of a interesting, like, you're like kind of one of those people that interview on NPR. People are interested in this sort of thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm, uh, I'm trying to th- figure out, like, how much detail to include. Well, you're a loony anarchist, aren't you? Isn't that part of it? 
Yeah, but I, I also have, uh, I'm largely sympathetic to the libertarian platform. And out of all the prominent national organizations that work in advocacy and policy, the ACLU, at least in the platonic ideal of the ACLU, is, is the closest to that. And by platonic ideal, I mean the ACLU that defended Nazis and free speech. Right. Like the Skokie trial. Mm -hmm. That's something we'll have to have. I'm going to jot that down for a future topic because I'm going to want to talk to you about how the ACLU has changed. Yeah. Not, and not the ACLU of today. Yeah. I've had like a bunch of disagreements with some of their policies, but I, I knew that I was kind of a, a minority on, on that front. Like the, the affiliate that I was part in, they were like heavy into promoting the, the gay couple that got discriminated by a florist. Uh, and I just thought, this is so stupid. Like, this this is what you want to focus on, <laughs> given like all the other issues that you have. It's just like this because the, the the couple literally was suing for seven dollars because they they estimate that's the cost of gas. It went it, it that's the that was the cost of driving to another florist that didn't give a shit about who they were. So it was just it, to me, it felt really petty. But I can I can understand why the ACLU was was focusing on that on that uh, topic. So, so the next closest florist was like 60 miles away or something? Yeah, it, it was like a rural play. I don't even remember. I think maybe there was like a different surprise. And then there was a like a thousand dollar statutory penalty based on the Civil Rights Act uh, in, in the state. It, it was just to me, I just thought it was stupid and petty. But that was kind of like the heralding uh, achievement of the affiliates. Like, oh, we, we won another victory. But I, mo I mostly just like kept to myself because obviously no one was going <laughs> to... <laughs> no one was going to agree with me on that front because it definitely brought in the donations. So it sounds like you and CRC have both worked for explicitly political organizations. I'm kind of curious to how the character of them is different because it sounds like uh, you worked for FIRE, right, CRC? That's correct, yes. Um, now, yeah, and FIRE is, uh, to, for those who don't understand, FIRE is the Foundation for Individual Rights and in Education. It's basically the ACLU, but solely they focus on college students and professors okay whereas the aclu is probably a little bit more left coded than that i take it yeah the aclu is i mean they every affiliate of the aclu is going to focus on a different thing and um, the affiliate that i was in on the west coast is heavily liberal and so they focus primarily on discrimination and abortion rights which was my focus and sometimes police abuse which was kind of like the topic the the jour so you're going to have a difference in terms of focus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the uh, I do want to um, put a marker down on that because the uh, uh, you mentioned that, that ACLU is a little bit more left coded than Fire. It's a, it's a it's a steep misconception that Fire is right wing um, or even remotely right wing. Uh, I mean, they are first of all explicitly nonpartisan, and I know for a fact that the the um, uh, the president of it uh, is fairly left wing. The uh, executive director is extremely right wing and the um, uh, sort of his his right hand man is, I think, a, a, a red diaper baby or something like that. Like they, they have they they are all Wait, over what, the map. A, a what baby? A uh, like red a, diaper baby? Uh, brought up uh, brought up as a communist. <laughs> what the oh, hell? Okay. Wow, actual heterodoxy. Sounds like a bunch of Nazis to me. <laughs> 
the red diaper baby comment was made in jest and was uh, probably excessive. And it's uh, what, what, what's great about it is it's in, in that environment where it's, they, they, you know, it's, it's very explicitly heterodoxical. Um, and so you go in there, you, you ha- one of the metrics that they judge you by to make to see if you're going to make it is can you handle talking to people who completely disagree with you because and one of the one of the things i didn't work on this but was going on right around the time i was there was uh they were defending uh a uh well they had just defended a christian um fraternity from being uh kicked off of campus and turned around and also defended uh the uh, i think it was idaho or um yeah, chapter of normal for legalizing pot so it was like they, they they took all comers did not care um as long as it was clear that the um uh you know the, the freedom of speech well the first amendment fourth amendment um or Fifth Amendment rights were being violated. Uh, those are the, the three areas they focused on. Um, and initially, when they were founded, they started out defending professors. Not so much uh, the students weren't really heavily involved. They were defending pres- professors from the administration. Uh, now it's they're defending students from professors and each other. So, um, although I have to, a little funny anecdote um because it was a free speech organization i made a point to say fuck as many times as i possibly could during the interview (laughs) (laughs) and they still hired me god like completely unlearn everything i know about applying to jobs for a place like that it's like when you're explicitly coding in for confrontational nonconformists. it's like the exact opposite of what people are most people are looking for employees well, it did help that I was citing the Supreme Court case that uh, where, where they where that was discussed. <laughs> You're talking about fuck the draft. Yep. Yep. Okay, so trying to tie it to the general policy of discussing work, politics at work, I was kind of surprised that Google had such a freewheeling and open arena for discussing politics because at first glance, when it's not the primary purpose of their company. It just seems like a giant fucking waste of time and extremely frustrating for everyone involved. And to me, just mostly a distraction. Because if I'm at work and I wanted to bullshit, then what I would do is find a politics forum and you know waste hours and hours typing up paragraphs to some random strangers. And for them to semi-officially incorporate it into day-to-day work just seems like madness to me. And I don't quite understand why they why they encouraged it or at least passively obliged it probably because it was fun and the uh the founding people the founding characters were probably of similar temperament to the type of people who like engaging with different ideas like it's mostly a bunch of libertarians who started these places up isn't it that's the general impression that big tech is generally founded by libertarianish types i don't know exactly how realistic that is and even so how much that would translate into the general culture of a larger organization filled with thousands of people. It could be founded by libertarians, but populated by non-libertarians is what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. After a certain point, you're, you're, you know, as a founder, you get to set your company's culture, but after a certain point, the culture takes a mind of its own and you are just along for the ride at that point. I don't know if this can be, if this has to be edited out or not. Um, (laughs) Is there anything going to be but left? <laughs> when I went through, no, no, no. So it's part of, um, so when, when I went through Y Combinator, every, every, every week we have dinner 
uh, and they it's basically like, oh, what'd you do this week? Show off to the rest of the people in your batch what you did. And there's a lot of social pressure there, but they would always have one like one guest of some kind to to give a talk and do Q and A. And so one time it was like, one time it was the CEO of, one time it was uh, who's he's made the slogan and he invented and now he's a partner and every every single one of this the the founders and ceos up there they could not harp enough about how little information you can actually convey to the workers that, who are actually doing the work all the way down through the hierarchy and how how simple your message has to be for it to get through uh, and that, I found that very interesting. The the only reason like that might have to get edited out is because you're not supposed to talk about what happens at Y Combinator. Uh, <laughs> so none of that so, survives. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Damn it. Okay, so you can, you can, I think if, if I don't name names, maybe I can get a, I can, no, no. Uh, the way it works is you, you can say what was said. You can't say who said it. No, I'm, I'm trying to think of a way to talk about it without, Okay, so yeah, let me let me try. I, mean, I can just stitch it together with the computer really? voice. Everyone loves that. <laughs> uh, yeah, you'll have to start but, making use of the bleep as well. Comedically <laughs> <laughs> yeah, bleeping on information. Just, yeah, the bleep yeah. is easy. So, Jeff, one of the dynamics that you identified is when people t- discuss politics, it's not necessarily you know truth seeking or trying to establish the contours of a debate. It's more oh my God, can you believe what this person did? And kind of trying to build, is that, is that what you call build, build consensus? consensus? Yeah. It's, it's, they're trying to build consensus around an issue, not for any, I guess, inquisitorial purpose, but more about forming these ties. So I, from a particular standpoint, I suppose you can argue that that's beneficial, but only if you have such a homogenous demographic as to not leave anyone out which is a rather stark assumption to have. So I'm trying to think what is a benefit to to that type of dynamic or whether it's just completely bad. I think most of the people doing it aren't thinking about it in those terms. They're just thinking, I enjoy doing this. And sometimes or often people chime in and agree with me and say, yeah, yeah, that's terrible. And it's fun. You get that dopamine hit out of that. I, 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 I guess I've yeah. hung out and with people who I do that with, like I have my group of libertarian friends and I have to actively try and not circle jerk with them. Okay, it's very <laughs> difficult because it's that urge to do that and just uh, throw up a, throw tomatoes at the enemy. It's very innate. D- does your group, does your group of libertarian friends forget to buy you dinner? <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, you always go Dutch at a libertarian convention. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But yeah, like it sounds like I think maybe construction and well, not necessarily construction, but it sounds kind of from what I've talked to people who come from refractories and working on pipelines. Like it sounds like there's just kind of a common uh, or similarities between the cultures, mainly because it's just working with all the same types of people that there's almost a evolved defense towards that type of behavior, that consensus building behavior. None of it's explicit. You, you, like if I had tried to explain to someone I'm working with that, oh, you're trying to prevent consensus building. They look at me like I'm some kind of queer <laughs> but uh but the there is like an instinctual revulsion that most of them display to people who start doing that in either direction like if you start talk if you start proselytizing jesus like we have a few people who 
our act. We have a guy who wants to start up a ministry, like he even has a YouTube channel. It's great. It's fucking terrible. It's not going anywhere, but it's really funny <laughs> and people make fun of him for it. Um, if you start trying to push narratives and beliefs on people, people have an instinctual defense mechanism against that. Usually that involves racial slurs, but it, it, nonetheless, it is effective. Is, is it almost the same mental algorithms going on if, say, somebody tries to if, if somebody says, oh, maybe you should uh, eat less or exercise more or some, make some change in your behavior, it will, is, it, is that the same mental algorithm running that immediately responds with no, fuck you? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Is this the no, fuck you uh, response? Like there's probably there's probably some uh, probably psychological resistance is probably the closest an- analogy or the closest analog that I can think of. Yeah, it just reminds me of when I was uh, I was visiting one of my uncles back in he lives in in, in East St Louis in Illinois and he w- he was smoking a cigarette outside and I I had just finished a like a five mile run come back and. And uh, he's smoking a cigarette there and he's got a bit of a gut on him. And I, I just said something. I wasn't really thinking I was in low oxygen mode after that run. I, and I said, oh, have you ever considered vaping? It's probably cheaper and a little healthier. And the look he gave me, <laughs> I, I will never forget it. And he just he just took a puff of his cigarette and then stared at me and he said, I'm not going to smoke a glow stick like a fag. <laughs> yeah, I, probably should I just busted out laughing. I should probably not horrify our listeners too much by overly romanticizing the construction industry. Yeah. But I, I am trying, I am kind of pointing out the, uh, the, the, rom- the savage romanticism of the tradesman <laughs> and his coarseness. Yeah. Like, uh, there is a, uh, there's a certain charm to it, even though it is largely overly cruel. Yeah, it's probably not where I would. Uh, it's not the crowd that I would choose to hang out with, but I can still mm-hmm. appreciate them for their honesty because, like, yeah, they yeah. will tell you what they think about something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not going to be pleasant, and it's probably going to be somewhat racist, but it's still entertaining to hear nonetheless. Usually, yeah, I don't think my uncle was really trying to get the wordplay in with that line. Of smoking a glow stick like a fag. It was, it was just going for the... Yeah, like I said, it comes naturally to them, and that can be that you can yeah. you can construe that as incredibly problematic. To be perp- and to be frank, it probably is problematic. I didn't really, yeah. I didn't appreciate how beautiful of a pun that is. Yeah, it was it was lost in everybody except me, and then I was like, that that was pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so uh, Jeff, one of the things that you brought up early on, and I wanted to uh, circle back to it, and um, if this is totally non sequitur, feel free to cut it. But um, you mentioned uh, how a lot of um, you know, companies that you saw just sort of changed from just working together to being families, um, and that's yeah. that's something that we uh, we had to deal with because uh how how my business grew up it was it was a family it was just me and my wife at first um and then we started hiring employees and so early on we we said to everybody you know you're all family and then we realized about the time we got about i think our 10th or 11th employee that people are complete shits to their families so (laughs) 
from then on, it was, it was, we're a team because you don't screw over your teammates. You screw over your sister, your brother, your parents, your kids, whatever. You don't screw over your teammates. Hmm. That seems like kind of a inversion of uh, my uh, brother and me against my cousin, my brother and me, my me, my brother, my cousin and I against the world. And it almost seems like an inversion of that. Uh, I seem to recall a Scott Alexander article about how uh, when only certain ideas are deemed as plausible to talk about than only like the far extremists bring it up. And so by default, that idea starts to only be associated with far extremists because everyone else is too afraid to pipe up. Yeah, it's pretty sure it's what I did when I just associated fire with the right as I assumed like, oh, it's just a righty thing, isn't it? Kind of sounds like you're talking about uh, I can tolerate anything but the out group. But that- another example of this would be the Q&A session of after any like after any famous speaker does some talk, the first person, the first question is almost always stupid because the person who got to that microphone first is the one who is most enthusiastic about getting their idea out there. And perhaps they shouldn't be as enthusiastic. Perhaps they're the most overconfident person in the room, basically. We've had to deal with that with the uh, ACLU events. And it was so bad <laughs> because, uh, you know, you'd get this uh, stream of uh, people that would say, I have more of a comment than a question. And then <laughs> oh, no. they would uh, just, you know, launch into their pet issue. And I remember a big uh, one was uh, smart electric meters. And they were like, why doesn't the ACLU care about this? And, you know, the the event had absolutely nothing to do with the privacy, privacy concerns of smart electric meters. But there was this you know, kind of like a Reddit brigade in real life of 50, 60 people that were handing out pamphlets at this event. It was kind of impressive how organized they were. And you, you remind me why I don't like listening to the live show recordings for podcasts. People always come in ask, asking a question and then it turns into like a three minute comment. <laughs> but I do notice that the people who tend to talk about politics the most at work are the people who are most adamant about their political views most people are not so so confident that they're correct and or maybe they just don't care as much and so they they talk about other things i was almost thinking the opposite because to me my uncharitable interpretation of someone that is trying to build consensus is that they're insecure in their beliefs and require the support of uh, surrounding individuals it's like hey we believe this right 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 yeah there's like two type, yeah there's like two types of the kind of person who like to talk about politics there's the uh there's the uh, Spurgs like us who actually just like talking about this stuff and enjoy the discourse. But then there's the other type of person who's actually there to build consensus and to shore up their own beliefs. Though I, I'm not in the, I'm not hitting the head of that person. So I can't really fully explain or fully understand where they're coming from with that. There's also like the explicit entryist who's actually trying to change a, change the structure and humanize it from the inside and make it better uh, according to ideological ideological prescriptions. But that's much rarer and probably more, uh, the fact that I'm bringing it up is probably more an article of toxoplasma than anything. So would that, would those, would that model predict that people would talk about politics in certain ways in circum- certain circumstances and not in others? For example, in a large group versus in a one-on-one setting. Do you have any predictions about what that would be like? Like how it would affect uh, conversations when you're just one on one with somebody versus if you're versus versus talking to a group of, say, a dozen people, 
if if you're trying to build consensus or the obvious effect is that you wouldn't try to build consensus with just one person because mm-hmm. building consensus seems by default by definition to require an audience or at least a, a broader group yeah you can right. that's what I've, i was thinking as well i've worked in left wing spaces as well i used to be a i used to be a tour guide at a uh house museum this attracted the very artsy students there were a few weirdo libertarians there as well but uh for the most part it was art students who were very liberal i have found that the public conversations with them versus private conversations with them are incredibly different and i found this in my private life as well primarily dating leftists so in my experience i mean just today i was uh, grabbing lunch with one of my coworkers. And we were the only two people at the table. And all of a sudden he starts going off or I was talking about a virtual reality headset and he starts going off on Palmer Lucky, who was apparently the, one of the founders of Oculus, I believe, who was is a Trump supporter or something. And he just went off about how, oh, it's it's a good thing that Palmer Lucky got kicked out of Oculus because he's such a terrible person and blah, blah, blah. And it really seemed like there was consensus building that he was trying to do, despite the fact that it's just me. And he, he, he's kind of new to the company, so he didn't know me very well. But I was surprised to see the consensus building uh, action happening, despite the fact that the rewards for him would have, were pretty, pretty tiny. <laughs> Potential rewards for him were pretty tiny. So maybe something else is going on, is what I'm saying in some cases, than the consensus building. There's also the... Uh misreading the room factor is like oh these people are actually looking for honest input from different perspectives and then you find that the room isn't as open to those perspectives as you thought like your experience that you talked about earlier right with the diversity council yeah well we have we have this like basic uh, impetus this basic human need to seek validation for your opinions i think that's why anyone goes on twitter or you know <laughs> Posts on. Reddit, well, we also have. There's also an impetus to think, and I'm well, totally, yeah, sure. I'm not totally that. Jordan Peterson here, but in order to think, you actually have to talk about things. <laughs> and a lot of times, people are doing that very sloppily. Like that's like job site philosophy. It's mostly people bullshitting and joking, but there is actually people trying to think and can actually bring out uh, new ideas to people that they've never been exposed to that you want. If if we're going to have like a concluding thoughts segment, mine would be, I'm reminded of the Robin Hanson quote where he says, politics is not about policy and how it's largely, or at least a significant portion of politics is performative uh, tribalism. That's why people express their opinions is not necessarily to find truth, but to strengthen their relationships or find new uh, compatriots within that particular tribe. And that seems to be what motivates a lot of these politics discussions at work, especially when they're so ancillary to, I'm probably going to do the robot voice for that. <laughs> ancillary. To the main thrust of the organization. And I'm thinking of places like Google primarily with, with political nonprofits, it makes sense. And as far as we can see within this tiny group of people, the same dynamics don't necessarily exist in a, a blue collar setting where there seems to be some checks in place to avoid kind of the runaway madness of allowing politics or encouraging politics to be discussed at work. The consensus building, I th- that's a good point for why it can be productive to talk about politics at work. But I think there was another Robin Hansen post about how 
once you become friends with someone, you should stop sharing more information about yourself because any new facts that they learn about you (laughs) could cause them to like you less. And perhaps that's the sort of thing that... Why, that, why, why talking take about such a negative outlook? <laughs> Jesus. I, I might be citing, I might just, I mean, it sounds like a really, it sounds like the most Robin Hanson thing of all time, but yeah. I mean, I, I've met the guy many times, so it doesn't surprise me that he would say that. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I, I could see why. I suppose from like some perverse want to keep friend as long as possible, utilitarian calculus. <laughs> yeah, I could see that. I mean, he is a really friendly guy to talk to. Hmm. Yeah, he's pretty good at that. He is. I second that. He's he's cool in person. But he does he does appear like so fucking clueless online. Where he posts <laughs> these, these like weird Twitter polls and everyone's like, dude, what the fuck? And he's like, I don't know. I'm just asking questions. And, and I think he's genuine about his asking questions, but he just doesn't get it. He doesn't get the social cues. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that sounds very true. Yeah. Any concluding thoughts? That's about all I got. Uh, I've been enjoying this uh, surprise podcast. I thought this was going to happen Wednesday. (laughs) Well, happy September 11th. You'll get to celebrate. (laughs) Yeah, great. Yeah. Yeah. I'll have to do the... uh, I'll have to do our annual 9-11 special where we try and justify the jihadi perspective. Yeah, that could be your tagline starting this. Yeah, that would be that would be interesting. Yeah. Well, I'm just gonna have a barbecue. <laughs> yeah. We're gonna play No, I'm not gonna make any nine eleven jokes. Time round. <laughs> Trying real hard to get cancelled. Somehow Joff is yeah. Jeff. Whatever the hell. <laughs> I used to confuse it's Jeff. Like it's it's easy. No, I've never, I've never, I've never encountered one in the wild. I've only ever seen it written, so it's always just been pronounced Joff in the head. Uh, okay, I, I get, I get Guff and Joff a lot. Yeah, but like uh, suggestion wise for like closeouts, you can do that. Like uh, you can do a postscript rep- recording. I know a lot of podcasts do that. Yeah, if if I feel like it, which I haven't. Yeah, mustered up the energy. Oh, mustered up. Maybe you can do it. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> I'll actually have to think about that first. I need to sit down well, for a You'll have, you know, at least a week, given how slow I move on these things.